Soccer 101. My name is Daryl Grove, and sitting across the table from me, it's a man with a huge back catalogue. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Uh, I am protesting this episode, though, because you called it Soccer 101, and it's obviously Football 101. Oh, you're taking the opposite side to usual? No. I'm not. Transatlantic. But I am making it on theme. <laughs> so the episode you're about to hear is not a new episode. No. It's a Total Soccer Show episode. That's mm-hmm. our other podcast. From all the way back... In February 2016. From back when, before we discovered caffeine? Is that about the way it went? Maybe, yeah. So if you listen to this, it is a little, we're a little more intimate and uh-huh. uh, longer pauses, yeah. that kind of stuff. It is a slightly different pace. It's still good. I really think it's a good episode. That's why I want to sort of republish it here for Soccer 101 listeners. But there's definitely, uh, the tempo is slower. What was the it's date on that one? Uh, February 2016. Okay. I wonder, did we have you the- tired t- from Valentine's No, Day? I'm wondering, did we have the table then? Or do we have the old table? Because the old table was like the kind of f- like folding yeah. table where I think we had to make a concerted effort not to touch anything because you would make noise and we, ha- we didn't have the mics we have now. And I'm now wondering and thinking about it because I remember those shows like sitting very still and trying not to move. Don't touch the loud table. And, it, and if you're not moving and you can't touch the table, it does tend to make you a bit more deliberative that in might what be you're it. saying. But I don't want to give the impression that it's like not fun to listen to because mm. there is an absolute goldmine of information in this episode. We are comparing um, – Essentially, American soccer terms yep. against British football terms. Yes, right. We are and, cleats and, versus boots, shin guards, shin pads, coach versus manager, all that sort of stuff. And I really enjoy it because there are some. If you approach it with a completely open mind, which I would encourage people to do, it's really enjoyable because there are some when you're like, okay, yeah, the American one is dumb, and there are legitimately some where I feel like the English one, despite probably being the original, is a bit yeah. more like, and oh, that one doesn't work quite as well. Well, here's, here's a quick teaser: like mm-hmm. outside back versus fullback. Yeah. The English one has a very historical reason yep. to it. Mm-hmm. The American one currently makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree Fair. with that. Shin pads versus shin guards. Like, I, I, I think that one is – maybe this is my Americanness. I'm like, ah, shin guards still makes more sense to me. It's I guarding mean, your shin. It's not padding so your shin. I re-listened when uh-huh. we were deciding whether to republish this or not. You had that exact same opinion back yep. then. So you are at least consistent over these, these three and a half years. I, I would not have expected that. <laughs> I will take consistency. <laughs> So, without further Freddy ado, um, let's, uh, let's, let's move away from current Daryl and Taylor and we'll hand it back to February 2016 Daryl and Taylor with this, this classic episode of the Total Soccer Show. Hello and welcome to the Total Soccer Show, or maybe the Total Football Show. Nope. I am Daryl Grove and I'm joined in studio by the yin to my yang, the Ben to my Jerry, the Michael Scott to my David Brent. (laughs) It's Taylor Rockwell. Hello. In that connotation, I will take Michael Scott. No (laughs) problem. (laughs) We're not here to compare the British office and the American office. Good. We are here to compare Mm. British English football terminology to American English soccer terminology. Yeah. To clarify what I mean by that, I'm not saying Michael Scott in the American version is better. I'm saying that he is has redemption, whereas yeah. David Brent is just terrible. Well, he had longer to get it. Yeah, Let's put it that way. very true. But very like I said, true. we're not going into that. Right. We are, today, we are going to compare terminology. Yeah. We've been planning this show for a long time. We have. There's a lot of research gone into it. Indeed. We have um, 11, 11 sets of terms, or 22 total, Mm-hmm. And we're each going to make um, or give the reasons why why the word is what it is in our respective languages. Is yeah. languages the right word? <laughs> Dialects? <Sort of. laughs> yeah, our respective sure. sides of the Atlantic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Indeed. So, but it's, it's worth, I think you wanted to make the point before we get into this, Taylor, yeah. that we're not, really, we're not really arguing for right and wrong. There's no black and white here. No. There's only gray. Yeah, exactly. Okay, <laughs> the way I would explain this is... Essentially that I think there isn't really one set rule. It's basically right. don't be a jerk is my rule. That if you want to say pitch, if you want to say field, if you want to say boots versus cleats, whatever, that's fine. But have that understanding as well so that when somebody says, you know, soccer instead of football, don't be like, it's actually football. Yeah. Like then you're don't a jerk. Don't be that guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and then if you're using these terms, what I would say, it's the way my wife describes wearing sneakers 
if you want to wear sneakers and you're in the United States, fine. No one cares. But if you're going to, like, visit Italy where no one wears sneakers, if you want to look like you blend in, maybe wear some nice boots instead. <laughs> That's what I would say here. Like, fine, I'll call it soccer. If I go to England, you bet I'm calling it football. Like, you respect the kind of culture that yeah, you yeah. operate inside of. Fair enough. Well, I will try to do that All right. throughout this show. Yeah, respect it. <laughs> <laughs> shall, shall we begin? Sure. Um, with the big one, mm-hmm. the headline. The headline act comes out first. It's soccer versus football. Mm-hmm. So, Taylor, why is it called soccer in America? Okay. So it's called soccer in America, in Canada, Australia, and it's basically countries that have another football. And, and yeah. that is why we have the different name. Okay. Because soccer comes from association football. We've talked about this many times on the show. Um, essentially, when they were abbreviating association football, they went with association and then shortened to sock. Yeah. And then at the time, basically, the fashion, I believe, was to add, like, er on the yeah. end of stuff. So, like, association rugby became you're a rugger. Association soccer became soccer. Rugby football became mm-hmm. rugger. Okay. There we yeah. go. So, so th- and that's basically it. And so both terms, from what I understand, were in vogue or used mm-hmm. up until maybe, like, the 1940s or so. And I think then soccer became more common in the United States. And I think the English shifted towards football completely. I will say from my perspective, mm-hmm. I still see the word soccer back home in English newspapers mm-hmm. when it suits them. Really? If there is a soccer star in a sex scandal, the headline is soccer star sex scandal because they want the alliteration. I see. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not as if it's outlawed. It's just when it suits them. <laughs> That's my, interesting. My guess is obviously they do say football back home. Mm-hmm. My guess is also that because like when NASL and all that happened and mm-hmm. it was like soccer – then it became defined as that kind of American thing. Mm-hmm. That then is, that's when the English specifically started reacting against it. That's what I've understood. I didn't yeah. want to jump to that and, and assume that that was the case, but mm-hmm. I had read that at times, but I wasn't sure if that was just like a reactionary thing or yeah. if it were actually the case. Sounds should, like it's actually the case. So should I tell you why it's called football to begin with? Sure. I mean, I'm guessing I can put two and two together. Is it, cause, is it because <laughs> you kick the ball with your feet? Pretty much. Would you be surprised to know that it's not that? I would. So, yeah, it's not, football's not called football because mm-hmm. you play it with your feet. I mean, think of American football, mm-hmm. mostly, mostly with your hands, right? Hand egg. Hand egg, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's because you play on your feet. So the difference is, um, this goes back to like 1300s-ish in England, mm-hmm. the nobility would play their sports on horseback. You think you still see Prince William, Prince Harry oh, that's playing right. polo I forgot about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The peasants, like you and I, Aha. play their sports on their feet. Football. How about that? That's fascinating. Yeah. Look at, look at you teaching me stuff. <laughs> teaching me stuff that I've learned and forgotten. <laughs> so there are even instances of games being referred to as football mm-hmm. in England in, I think, the 1800s, where the rules specifically said you can't kick the ball with your feet. It's just about playing on feet. And if there's even um, have you ever seen the uh, Royal Shrovetide uh, football game? No. This happens every um, – uh, it's around Easter, so Ash Tuesday or uh-huh. Ash Wednesday – Shrove Tuesday and Ash Wednesday, so in the week leading up to Easter. Starting to think you're making stuff up. Now, this is, this is in England. In the town of Ashburn, uh-huh. Ashbourne in Derbyshire, they play like the old-style mob football, where it's essentially like 500 a side, uh-huh. and there's just one ball, and you have to get it from one side of the town to the other. Those are the goals. So it's like pick up soccer on too small a field, But basically. you can use your hands, your feet, yeah. oh, your really? strength. You just, people just push the ball across town. Oh, boy. Yeah. It sounds violent. But that's sort of the beginnings of football before mm-hmm. it was codified with rules and like you know throw-ins and kick-in and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Football's just a mob game with a ball on. You played on your feet because like people it. couldn't afford horses. Can I tell you one of my favorite things about the adaptability of football? What's is that? the name itself? Because I didn't realize this, and it kind of blew my mind. So I found this in doing my research. When immigrants, coaches, and sailors exported the game overseas, the word football was loosely translated to fit the local languages. Right. Which had never really occurred to me. That's why um, there's football in Mexico. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean what we think it means. Right, yeah. So I have this idea in my head, like Spanish and Portuguese and other languages, that like football means foot and ball. It yeah. doesn't. Like foot in Portuguese is something completely different. So it really is just sort of the way they've sort of shaped this word to uh-huh. make it the same word as it is in English. It's really strange to me that that's how, like, it really is just the English form in a different language. Yeah. It's odd. It's very strange, but it makes sense. I understand why the English would do that because they're the English. What what are we going to come down on here then, Tyler? Like, which way do we lean? Do we lean towards soccer or football here on the Total Soccer Show, formerly known as the Total Total Football Football Soccer Soccer Show? Show. (laughs) I think I will continue to say soccer because we're talking about soccer in the United States. Yeah. 
That said, there are going to be times when I jump to football. Probably when we're talking about the Euros, it will be more of a <laughs> we're gonna see back a and forth. Yeah, probably. We need some sort of machine in the studio that counts which one we use. Yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> what do I? What, how do you feel about it? Well, so I've been in the Mr. US English for man. ten plus years now, mm-hmm. like ten and a half years, maybe. Yeah. Um, so I've just got used to saying soccer to be understood, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because otherwise, it just gets confusing. Like people are not sure which sport I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So, especially for someone like me, if you're in the local culture, adapt to what the local culture is saying. Yeah. I've got a a podcast about the beautiful game here in America. <laughs> I'm going to call it soccer. Yeah. But I think. But again, to go back to my initial point, like it is about adaptability. Yeah. Like I'm not going to go – like the one that comes to mind for some reason is the scene from Green Street Hooligans where Elijah Wood is like, you're going to take me to a soccer game? And he's like, no, not a soccer game. I'm going to take you to football. Like if I were talking to a person in England about the sport, I'd be saying football because <laughs> otherwise I know what that conversation is actually yes. going to be about. Right. It's me being a misinformed yank. Don't be a jerk. Don't be a Green Street hooligan. Exactly. <laughs> Words to live by. Yeah. <laughs> All right, number two. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was interesting to research. Yep, me too. Field versus pitch. Taylor. Right. So field is the American. Mm-hmm. Why is it a field? Two possible explanations. I think one more likely than the other. The Maybe the obvious one would be that it's it's a, you play it on a field. It comes from the old English, a set amount of level cultivated ground. But I think the more likely one, the one that I choose to ascribe to, is that it's basically just the shortened version of the field of play. Right. That's what the official laws of the game refer to it as, the field of play. So I think it's shortened to field. And I think that makes sense because you have like a level playing field. You don't have a level playing pitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the uh, the fields we've played on uh, here in, in Richmond, they're not all level. Oh, no, I'm talking about culturally. Like, you know, we want to level the playing field for like men and women. You don't want to level the pitch for men and women. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> So do you want to know why it's called a pitch in England? Sure. So do you know what a pitch means? Originally, pitch means to put something into the ground, right? right? That's why mm-hmm. you pitch your tents because you put the poles right. into the ground, right? It's so, cricket, isn't it? It's, so it's cricket and soccer, right. but originally cricket because cricket sort of predates. Mm-hmm. It was when you um, set out the field of play because right. it would have been just you know, a mass of public space, right? A field, basically, a big open field mm-hmm. with you know, no lines or anything. Right. So when you create the playing area, you pitch out the playing area. Right. Either you pitch the stumps for cricket, you, you know, there's three wooden sticks you see in the ground, or for soccer, you would, you know, you would pitch the corner flags. I see. It's it's pitching out yeah. the area of play. That makes sense. Now we think of it as like when we go and play soccer, mm-hmm. it's already we think of like Brian Park here. Yep. It's got those five soccer fields, and they're mm-hmm. actually very nice soccer fields. They're all, they're always there, right? Yep. We don't think we have to go there and pitch that out. It's been done for us by a nice man with one of those <laughs> paint pushing things. You yep. know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. So that's what it, that's what it's about. You pitch out the playing field. It's a, basically it's a historical holdover, right? And so one thing I, I think I've learned in doing the research that I find interesting is a lot of the terminology seems to be informed by other sports of the two countries. Yeah. So I think baseball has a lot to do with some of the terminology in American soccer. Does it really? Yeah. I All think right. Cricket as well has some influence oh, on football more on that later so i think that's part of it is that it's it's it is yeah it's a cricket pitch and a football mm-hmm. pitch in england yeah. yeah yeah exactly so interesting i i mean i think again e- either one is okay i probably tend to say pitch though more often than not yeah i think well you spend too much time with me as that's well. probably it as well i mean that is part of it like i know i've picked up a few like for and you I read mean, a lot of english media there was a period period when i called roberto martinez roberto martinez because i listened to podcasts <laughs> and like listened to you know gary neville and barry glendening refused yeah, to say it properly i know so i mean i definitely like would pick up certain words and say them incorrectly knowing better like, i think you called me out on it. you're like why are you saying it like that because that's his name He's Spanish. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's how James Richardson says it. I know. It's very confusing. <laughs> so which way do we lean then? There's no, is there a right or wrong? No. I think it's a weird like abstract thing because if I said – like are you, if I called you and I was like, hey, you're still going to the game today? Yeah. All right. I'll see you at the field. Like I would say that. I wouldn't say yeah. pitch. But I'd be like, oh, the pitch looks good. Like it's just a, – it's a strange uh-huh. back and forth where, again, I, I think I use it interchangeably. Interesting. And mm. maybe the field, when you say it like that, means like the general area where we're playing, mm-hmm. but the pitch refers to the specific area. Yeah. Because I think yeah. it's probably the field is like the playing field of play. Yeah. We're, yeah. Which is weird, <laughs> but yeah. There you go. All right. Let's move on to the third one. Let's do it. Uniform versus kit. Mm-hmm. Now, I would argue these are not identical. I would agree. Because, oh, interesting. All right. Because I think... Tell me about uniform. I think uniform is, is used everywhere. 
I mean, if you look up the term uniform, it's used by every single country on the planet. Like a pilot's uniform or a Yeah, whatever. I mean, yeah. yeah, it could be anything or, you know, a bus driver's uniform. Uh-huh. Everybody has different ideas. Military uniform, obviously. Yeah, so uniform, yeah, it comes from Latin uniformis, meaning having only one form or shape. People have been u- using uniforms forever, I think. I think like the Romans and the Greeks, mm-hmm. the first ones. But what I would say is maybe more applicable in terms of the British versus American English would be jersey. That American usage of jersey versus kit maybe. Does that make sense to you? It does, but to me they're two different things. Like the jersey is just the shirt, mm-hmm. whereas kit is everything. Right. Kit To me, kit includes your shin guards or pads and your boots or cleats. Yeah, because I guess you're fully kitted out if yeah. you have everything. Right? Yeah. So – yeah, so I mean, I guess then it would be uniform would be the entire thing. And yeah, I mean, I think it pretty much speaks for itself. All right, so do you want to hear about kit? Sure. Right, so I did some etymology. But then research. I want to talk to you about jerseys. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. We'll come back to that then. Yeah. Right. So kit, like, obviously I just thought of kit means your mm-hmm. whole thing, right? Because you've got all your kit with you, mm-hmm. right? And But that also applies to all kinds of other things, like first aid kit or whatever. It comes from an old Dutch word. Um, kit is um, a small wooden vessel for containing things, right? Mm-hmm. And it then became, in the 18th century, British soldiers would carry um, their kit in a knapsack, and the kit is like all their military stuff. So kit becomes something that's in a container that is everything you need. I see. Kit bag, for example. But, but would the British military ever call their uniform a kit? Or is kit specifically for sports? I ask no. this because... In the film Zulu, starring Michael Caine, he, <laughs> he, of him. he the pretentious right. British officer, says to the more like humble engineer uh, British officer, yeah. I'll tell my man to clean your kit. Does he mean the actual bag and everything therein, or does he mean the uniform itself? It just means all your stuff. Huh. All, all of your stuff, all your everything. Really? Yeah. Okay. All the tools of your trade. So then, yeah, so then even then, I guess uniform doesn't really apply? I don't know. It's confusing. It's, it's confusing because uniform is like one specific set clothing whereas the kit would be everything yeah uniform is clothing i think mm-hmm. kit is all your gear weird yeah okay but i think i cut you off from your or is that is that the end of it that basically well, it's what you carry all your stuff in well the thing i was gonna say is that if you were gonna go with uniform the more appropriate british english analog is strip okay you heard about that no like basically your i mean yeah i know you your yeah. shirt your shorts right. and your socks mm-hmm. are your strip okay and but that's the one that i really hit a dead end on i couldn't find a reason why all of that is called a strip that's kind of a one. Of, I think that's one of those weird, quaint British things. Maybe it's you, like because the first time they wore one, it like had stripes on it, and somebody just slurred it. Well, <laughs> it's possible because most early most early strips were striped. Yeah. What I think it is is maybe you strip down to it, so you yeah. would arrive at the at the muddy field in England in maybe more clothes, <laughs> and you would strip some stuff off yeah. to be left with what you were going to play. Mm-hmm. But that's just my absolute like you know me taking a punt on what it means. Interesting. You want to take a punt on where Jersey comes from? Yeah, I just think I just use an Americanism to. Uh... Yeah, you punt it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take a chance. What do you What do you think Jersey comes from? Um, is it from like the Isle of Jersey? It is. It is. Uh-huh. Yes. Because Why? do they make do they make like you got clothing it. there? Yeah, basically, uh, since I think like medieval times, they've been known for their knitted materials. So their knitted fabrics. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and essentially, a jersey is a particular style of knitted clothing, traditionally wool or cotton, with sleeves that's worn as a pullover. And a lot of times, it was made for sailors because it's this really thick wool mm-hmm. sweater that you can wear underneath all your other clothing to keep you warm. And that kind of spread throughout Europe and into the United States, where, amongst other things, it became pa- uh, popular with American football players in the like 1900s or, or 19th century. Go ahead. You should make clear mm-hmm. what where jersey is. Jersey it's is not New Jersey where Chris yes. Christie is. Jersey is a channel island that is a crown dependency, there you go. I believe. It's, I don't know yeah. what a crown dependency so is. There are two little islands, Jersey and Guernsey, yeah. are between England and France. Mm-hmm. Okay, but what's a crown dependency? Do you know? It means that it's sort of independent, mm-hmm. but sort of not. I see. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I had a coach from Jersey. And it's, he... like, it's like the, the Puerto Rico or Guam of the United States. I got you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys get a lot of your professional athletes from there? <laughs> uh, Matt Letitia. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> uh, but so basically, well, he may have been from Guernsey. Yeah. Before American football had pads, when people would like literally die playing American football because right. it was just really brutal and violent, they needed padding. Now so they started wearing these big cushioned sweaters. So right. it became your jersey, is what you'd wear. And then it basically became from there. This is what I was talking about with American sports kind of taking 
influences from other American sports. Yeah. Then it just became the thing that you wear when you're playing sports as a jersey. So baseball jersey. Yeah, yeah, that makes same, sense. Even though it's made of completely different material, completely different style, still called a jersey. All right, so big question. Mm-hmm. We have a game tonight. We have an indoor game. If it stops raining, um, weirdly, our indoor game is on the outdoor Mm -hmm. field, which is confusion in itself. A little bit. Um, The outdoor pitch, obviously, is what I meant to say. Mm -hmm. Um, What will you be taking with you? What will you be wearing? Is it your uniform? It's tough. It's really, really tough. Because I think I use them all interchangeably yeah. at times. Well, I know, for example, Phil, mm-hmm. who uh, manages the team, yeah. he will have the jerseys. There'll be a bag of jerseys. There will be a bag of jerseys. But I will have to take the rest of my kits myself. Okay. That makes sense. I like that usage. I don't use that usage myself. I would say the only time I think I ever ask about uniform is in a like more almost formal setting of like when we're talking about a team that we're going to play for. And we're like, no, do they have their own uniforms or should I bring my jersey? Like I think... <laughs> when you're trying to impress someone. <laughs> no, it's, it's more of like, I think of it more as like an organized thing. Like a uniform is the yeah, yeah. whole thing uh-huh. and a jersey is just the jersey. Right. It's because uniform has those slightly military connotations, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I would lean towards uniform and jersey, but I think this is maybe one of the only ones where it's because kit is so foreign to me as an American, mm-hmm. that I really do feel like a poser a little bit. If I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm wearing my kit. Like, I just think... <laughs> you that wearing your car? Again, I'm not going to judge people. <laughs> exactly. I'm not going <laughs> to judge people. You want to say kit, say kit. But it's just one where I think that is a little bit too far for me. Okay. What about you? Can you say... Do you say, you say uniform, jersey, kit, strip? You say them all? I don't say uniform. I think it's just it feels too foreign and it mm-hmm. means something else to me. But apart from that, I'll say anything. I don't okay. say strip here because I think people will look at me like, what? <laughs> it's very cold, Daryl. And ready. Early. Do you really want to strip? strip? All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think we've gotten to the bottom oh, of that we, one. We sure have. Okay. Next up, cleats versus boots. It's a weird one. So, Taylor, why on earth are they called cleats? I can tell you. And I will say, I sometimes say cleats. I have no idea why I'm saying it or what it means. Okay. I just know that I put them on my feet. So <laughs> from the best I can understand... It takes its name from the the things on the boat that you tie the knots to. Those are called cleats. And when you flip that upside down and put it on the bottom of a shoe, that's what they look like. So it's basically referring to the spikes or the studs, Uh which is a British one. The spikes are the protrusions, as Mm -hmm. I think I saw it described, on the bottom of the shoe. That's what I'm going to call them from now on. And what this is, do you know what a... Can I I wear protrusions on this indoor field? (laughs) Please get out, sir. Molded protrusions? Who are you? But do you know what a synecdoche is? Um, it's, oh, I saw that Charlie Kaufman film. We've talked about this. You, we talked about that when you guys, when we did the show, this similar show last time, Yeah. you tried to figure out the word for the thing that you were talking about. And it's basically when you use the part of something to describe the whole. That's what Synecdoche is. Yes. So when you call cleats, uh, cleats, you're talking about just one specific part of the shoe, but it becomes the whole thing. Yes. So that's where that term comes from is cleats comes from. The I guess the resemblance to the thing that you tie a knot to on a yeah. boat. Boom. Interesting. <laughs> there you go. You, have you ever wondered why they're called boots in England when they're not actually boots? Uh, I mean, so boots means when well, you think they, of well, boots, they used right? To be, but when you think, yeah, when, mm-hmm. so when you think of boots that you would wear, they would cover your ankles, right? If you're going to put boots on, they mm-hmm. cover your ankles. Yeah, but I'm assuming they used to. That's exactly it. Because, and I only know this, I don't know why I know this. I read, maybe Margaret told me, my wife, because she's into British history is that Henry VIII had a pair of football boots in, in, in his, like, archives or whatever. And I've seen a photo of them, and they look pretty bootish to me. Well, there's an example closer to home. What you got? Clo- literally closer to my home. Oh, yeah. Do you remember? Your dad's. Um, we, I took a photo of my dad's old football boots and his old football ball, mm-hmm. um, which literally had both of the – all three things had laces. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and we put it on a Reddit, our um, soccer, yep. yep. and it briefly, or a couple of days, went yep. to the top of our soccer, mm-hmm. which is kind of a big deal. Yep. Right? It's why I have like good karma on Reddit. Is that because right? it's like one post. All my other posts get like one upvote <laughs> or something like that one. That one got yeah. a lot. Yeah. Shout out to anyone listening to the show who yep. um, also frequents uh, Reddit slash r slash soccer. The Reddits, yeah. The Reddits. <laughs> um, but if you can remember the, the boots in that picture, they mm-hmm. were ankle high. Were they really? Yes. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I guess yeah. they would be, yeah. So that's why the boots. The historical reason is, going back to the, uh, the football thing mm-hmm. that I was talking about when it was, you know, things were kind of crazy, very working-class game, people, would, people wouldn't go to a soccer shop and like, buy like, the Adidas Predators in right. those days, right? Mm-hmm. You would wear your work boots. 
because they were protective. Right. Right? All this lightweight fad and Cristiano Ronaldo and the Mercury and all that stuff, <laughs> that's, that's the present, right? No one wanted lightweight boots back then. They wanted big, tough boots that were going to protect you because if you broke your ankle, you were going to not be able to go to work yeah. for a few days and because football was even rougher then. From what I understand, it was basically the shift from leather to vulcanized rubber is when you started to see like the move away yeah. from like actual like boot looking things yeah. into a more athletic I looked, thing. I looked at the timeline. What you got? I, I do my research for the show. Nice. It's roughly like late fifties, early sixties mm-hmm. is when things start changing and think yeah, things become more lightweight because it obviously gives you better technique to right. have like more lightweight boots. Also not waterlogged. Also not waterlogged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. So here's the question. What do you say? Boots. You say boots? Yep. Do you really? Mm-hmm. I sometimes say cleats. I find it weird go back and forth. to say cleats now. Do you? I, the, uh, it's, and I can't really explain why. It's just a personal thing. Like I was buying, sh- I was buying shoes the other day yeah. for indoor and I would constantly call. I was like, oh yeah, I'm looking for a new pair of boots too. Like I, just, I just don't say cleats anymore. I think it because it has a like almost like youth soccer feel to me. Because, cleats does. Yeah, because there was a huge gap I think between for, for me between the regularity of buying shoes. Like I think I went through – when I was a young kid, you know, your, sho- your feet are growing, so you buy cleats when you're little, and I think they're called cleats. <laughs> like half a size every year. Yeah, and then, you know, when you're in your 20s, you're poor, and you can't buy <laughs> shoes all the time. <laughs> These will definitely last another season. Yeah, I think so. Please pass the duct tape. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've definitely worn multiple pairs of shoes with duct tape on them. <laughs> and then, you know, you go back to buying shoes, and I think it's just, I don't know. Yeah. I just felt a little more adult in my purchasing, they're, and also maybe because they're so expensive <laughs> that they seem like an actual piece of designer footwear, and thus. They become boots. boots. <laughs> <laughs> what about the third option, which would be soccer shoes? That was a phrase that I saw when I was researching this. I never I think say that's, that. That's too. I don't. I've never said. Is that. Is there a part of America that says that? Maybe, but for me, that's too broad because that could be indoors. That could just be like sambas, which maybe you wear casually. That, yeah. And even now that Nike makes four thousand different types of soccer <laughs> shoes between like AGs and turfs yeah. and field, or I guess AGs are field turfs, but then natural and then cross trainer. It's just too much. So. No soccer shoes for me. All right. It, it's occurring to me we're like, what, about a quarter of the way through this. It's occurring mm-hmm. to me that um, we've been a weird influence on each other. Yep. Like I've been in I, – like I came with all my British terms and I landed here in late 2005. Mm-hmm. I've slowly picked up some American terms. Yeah. And then we've spent a lot of time talking about this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've picked up terms from me and you've read English media. So we're both mixed. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're, both, we're both mudbloods. I would argue that that is a credit to you. Though, because really? I've yeah, because I've known I'm, a lot. I'm of, interested. I've known a lot of uh, British folk in my time, yeah, who are very insistent on the British way of saying this things. is the way it is. Yep, and yeah. so I definitely had times like, especially in Istanbul, and I mean, it's like really nice people. Don't get me wrong; it's not like they're just like, oh, you stupid, you know, American, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely I found myself being a little more reserved because. They would say a term, and I would like. I, I think I've told you before that we have it coming up. I said outside back once, and they're like, "What is that? That's not a thing." And I was like, "Yeah, it is." Yeah. And then, then like, your response should be, "What? You can't work it out?" <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's like you guys get How what I'm saying, here, right? So no, so I think that there are certain, there are definitely groups that would say like, "No, it's this," or "No, it's not that." So right. I think it's a credit to you that it's like that adaptability. Basically, you've made Donald Trump proud. Good job, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> You've come in here and you've uh, adapted and evolved. <laughs> I don't think he's even keen on the first part. Probably not so much now. <laughs> Shall we move on? Yeah. I'm sure Donald Trump loves soccer. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we move on? Let's do it. To, um, one that we're not going to agree on? <laughs> shin guards yep. versus shin pads. Right. Well, one of them is right. One of them is wrong. Which one is right, Tyler, and <laughs> no, why? I, I mean that kiddingly, but I don't. Um, so shin guards is the one that I would say is maybe more American. Yeah, very. And also more uh, everything. It dates back to ancient Rome, uh, where they were Does called it? greaves. Yeah, which translates to shin armor. Okay, I'd say armor is closer to guard than pad. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's basically those little like the things that you see that almost like you you see in like like tro- Trojan soldiers. Yeah, like I can that, picture it. Yeah. Strapped around like that. Yeah, that's what that is. It's so a you greave. can like uh, deflect a sword to the shin. Yes. Yeah. Now, to be fair, from what I understand, the first usage of a padding or guard in sport was cricket where they were called shin pads but interestingly it sounds like and maybe you can explain this oh, better I than i that like it was almost used as an offensive weapon as opposed to protection is that 
Does that vibe with what you've researched? Not really. Okay, so I can see why you would think that. Though, and I'll explain. I know so mind. little about cricket that this is. I'm going to yeah. tell you. Why what, don't you stick, stick to your side? Well, of the I'm going to tell you what I read, and you can tell me if this makes sense. Because okay. it was. Uh, let me find my research here for you. So it's the idea that um, you used to cover stumps. Are there stumps in cricket? Yeah. So it was that the padding allowed you to better cover those. So then there had to be a whole rule about if. Like it, the ball was going to hit a stump. I don't know. I'm very I'll, confused. I'll explain this um, more eloquently. Thank you. Very soon. Hurtful, but, but thank you. It sounds like you're trying to explain why shin pads are wrong. You should be trying to tell me why they, why you do. You no, call I'm, them shin I'm pads. giving credit that it sounds like the idea of a pad was there first, and then it evolved into a guard. Because okay. I do think that it was essentially in sports. Just, yeah, it was. What about our Roman friends? Yeah, I mean, same thing. I think it was a. It's a guard is the idea but yeah. i think in terms of evolving into sports it was more of like a cushioning thing than it was like a piece of armor that you wore there so even like baseball and football it would be a piece of leather that you strap to your shin they wear things on their shins in baseball yeah i didn't they, know that. yeah they were shin guards mm-hmm. yeah why i think for like if the ball ricochets off of your bat or something like that comes down and hits you oh i see yeah. okay oh so, so there's less threat but it's yeah, again, a possibility I'm, and it's gonna yeah happen. so i'm okay. not i'm not the biggest baseball guy but i think essentially what's happened is it's gone from padding to more of an actual protective piece of equipment which yeah. to me is armor it's a guard it's a shin <laughs> armor shin guard what do the baseball guards look like do they look like i'm not sure like i'm really guards? not sure to be honest because i know i've seen the ones that batters wear but They're i don't like know the big cricket ones right no, it's, it's like more, little yeah. – like I think if it's what I think it is, it, it also protects your foot too mm-hmm. so that when you're batting, if you have that foul ball and it goes straight down into your foot, you've kind of got that whole area covered. Got it. But I think it's also people would wear them in early baseball to avoid getting spiked. You can imagine what that is, mm-hmm. sliding in, getting yeah. hit in the shin. So that as well I think is why they were wearing them. All right. Mm-hmm. Do you want to hear about shin pads? Sure. All right. So you were right. Shin pads does originally come from cricket. Um, they would be called shin pads or leg pads. Because they were huge, mm-hmm. and they covered basically your shin and most of the uh, lower half of your leg. Mm. The reason being, um, I'm not going to explain cricket fully, but <laughs> the bowler is bowling at those stumps, three wooden sticks. Mm-hmm. The batsman is trying to defend them, but the ball is played low, right? The ball bounces, unlike mm-hmm. in baseball, so it bounces at you. If it is off a little bit, you would just get it in the legs, and it would hurt a lot, right? Because right? those balls are heavy. Um, so the batsmen started wearing, in the 1700s apparently, padding, these big right. leg pads, so that if the ball hit them, it would uh, not hurt as much. Mm-hmm. That, but that did allow the batsmen then to start creeping and covering. Before, you would never deliberately cover the stumps with your legs because you'd get hit in the legs. Now you could use your legs in front of the stumps and you could almost defend the stumps with your yeah. leg pads. Mm-hmm. So then they brought in a law that allowed the umpire, who's the referee, to say that, well, that ball was going to hit the stumps if your big padded legs weren't in the way. Therefore, you're out. Okay. So that's the that, that explains what you're talking about. That there. makes sense. And I think that that – sorry, go ahead. And then no, I'll no, interrupt. I was going to say, and I think that transfers to a lot of sports, not just cricket. But like in hockey, the goalie wears hockey pads. You know, right. That's what you wear as hockey player. I believe football as well. It's, it's pads. It's yeah. not guards. But I would say that's the difference though is that all that stuff is designed to make you bulkier to be able to absorb impact. Whereas, I mean – how many people do you know who wear shin guards that are like seem like they're made for six-year-olds? Like <laughs> yeah. it's basically just not me. I wear the big ones. It's not a piece of padding. It's a piece of almost like equipment. Yeah. And so I think it takes away from the idea of a shin pad. But here's the important part. All right, what you got? I've got the story of when it jumped to soccer. Okay. So it's 1874. There is a man whose name is Sam Weller Widowson. Mm-hmm. He is in the 1870s a two-sport athlete. He plays for Nottinghamshire cricket. He plays for Nottingham football. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I heard okay. about him. Yep. He's also played international cricket for England and just the once international football mm-hmm. for England as well. Right? So he's a genuine two-sport athlete. He's got all his kit with him. He is playing soccer for Nottingham in 1874. This is before any shin guards or shin pads were around. He's getting lumps kicked out of his legs, right? Yep. So half-time, he goes back to... I mean, obviously, he's one of the better players, he right? He cuts he's him down, right? Yes, yeah. he goes back into the, the dressing room. He gets his uh, giant cricket shin pads in 1874, <laughs> and he cuts them. He cuts them to fit inside his socks, and he shoves them in. Okay. He gets kind of laughed at, right? I imagine. Because he's the first person right. to do this, right? And then everybody realizes, like, wait, what? You're, right. not, you're not bleeding all the time? <laughs> <laughs> you seem in a lot less pain than everybody else. Yeah. So that's why it's because they were actual big pads, mm-hmm. but then they were adapted, but the name... Stuck with it. Yeah. That's why they're called shin pads in England. It's so weird with sport how many things are like that. Like like the 
the story everybody goes with that's not sport related is like that Whiteout was invented by a typist who got tired of having to rewrite documents. Yeah. That like Predators, this, the Adidas Predators, the same as Craig Johnson, who was like, I want more control of the ball. Yeah. And like, oh, I don't want my shins to be bleeding. Like, it's just these little <laughs> tiny, like, I'm just going to do this. Like, forget you guys. And then like 100 years later, I can't imagine not wearing those things. It's kind of <laughs> weird, but awesome. Way to go, sports. So it sounds like you lean heavily towards shin guards being accurate. I think that's the only one where I'm just like, okay, England, great. You invented the game. We really appreciate that. You're wrong on this one. Is it just because it sounds right? Right. right. It's guarding your shin, so it's a shin guard. Yeah, and I, I think it's guarding versus padding. It's yeah, not padding and because when you look at a modern mm-hmm. shin guard, yeah. it's not actually that padded. It's normally made of some like quite thin but strong material. I think if you looked at a modern shin guard, it ha- looks much closer to greaves of like ancient Roman soldiers right. than it does yeah. uh, a pad. And here's a thing I think that we're getting to with this British English American English mm-hmm. stuff, right? The American English stuff is more accurately descriptive sometimes okay here's a thing i this is i was going to get to when we get to uh positioning stuff but i do think that american sports are a little more rigid and a little more like literal in that sense so i do think it's sort of like this is what it looks like this is what it is yeah this is where you are on the field that's what you are and it's i think it's because it isn't burdened or isn't or doesn't flourish yeah, with by tradition the tradition mm-hmm. of the historical references yep. right like the shin pad is because it goes back to cricket and to that I think wonderful Sam Weller Widdowson story right it has all that history tied to it that's why it's shin pad even though the thing that you wear now is not a pad yeah. I think this is the key difference between American English terms British English terms one's more accurate one's more we're historical not, we're not burdened by our own history we're not Buoyed by history. Well, isn't that, I forget, there's a, there's a people who are, who are like described as that. Like, I think it's the Irish who are like burdened by their own past. That it's like, you know, it's like that you've, you've like suffered through so many different atrocities and downfalls and everything like that, that it becomes hard to like get away from that to experience your own modernity. As right. Were. Well, there they we got go. to Euro 2016. <laughs> there we go. There's that. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on to another sort of key distinction? Sure. But also a more confusing one, I think. I think very confusing. Coach mm-hmm. in the American sense versus manager in the British sense. Right. So I guess let's go with coach first. Okay. From what I understand, and you may have a different interpretation, coach evolved uh, from a few different languages. Like it's like old French and old English and German and some other ones. But it relates to a coach, a kind of carriage, right? A carriage that carries you, conveys you. Yeah. Um, in 1840s British slang, tutors became known as coaches because they carried their pupils through the examination, yeah. basically. So it's they start with you, they do all the lecturing all the way through the exam. So they've carried you through. So they become, in slang term, a coach. Yeah. And then that kind of bleeds into sport. I also read a thing that they were the coach would carry, mm-hmm. as in now, like, oh, we're carrying this bad player. Right. He would carry along the, the least bright person in the class. I like you know what I'm that. saying? Yeah, I do. <laughs> but it's about improvement and getting someone to somewhere where they wouldn't have been able to get to before. Right. So that's where the idea of a coach comes from. It's yeah. basically, you know, an instructor who helps the team along. All right. Okay? So you've got the etymology. But this is the confusing part because I would say a head coach is the head coach. It's the person who's at the top of your coaching structure. Mm-hmm. But in England, you also have coaches and you also have head coaches, but then you also have managers. So why don't you explain the difference in England between those things? Well, since you started with etymology, uh-huh. I'm going to do the etymology of manager. Please do. Okay. So apparently it comes from the Latin noun manus, which mm-hmm. means hand. And it was originally about people riding horses. They could handle a horse. Mm-hmm. So that's how a manager came about. I like it. Right? So when you are managing an organization, you're handling the organization. You're in control of it. You're making sure it goes where you want it to go. Mm-hmm. So I think that gets to the key thing about when you think of a manager in England, I think of someone like... Alex Ferguson. He was Alex Ferguson was always called a manager mm-hmm. in Manchester United. He was never referred to as coach, right? Because he had a lot of influence within that organization, right? Right. And he's. All, I would say those days are almost gone. But in the old days, especially like you know early twentieth century to mid twentieth century, the man there was a manager of a football team who was really in charge of everything, right? Except owning the team. There'd be mm-hmm. a club owner and maybe board of directors, and then there'd be the manager who would oversee everything else. He'd be right. in charge of everything else, right? I think now that clubs have become more corporate and more structured, and now you more and more have the – even if he's called manager, he's really just the coach. So I think like the one that I saw kind of consistently written was that uh, like Mauricio Pochettino at Tottenham is yeah. a head coach because right. 
And that I think maybe is a, seen as a negative one because is it Dan, Dan Livy, right, who runs yeah. Tottenham? He's like seen as so hands on with transfers and mm-hmm. with how much people are sold for, and how much they're purchasing, that he like doesn't want to let go of that a little bit. Yeah. So then Pochettino is essentially like, fine, I'll do my own thing. Whereas yeah. I believe at Southampton he was seen as more of a manager, where he was given maybe more of that authority and control. Well, Dave, if you think of Southampton, they have that whole structure in place, right, with this the black box mm-hmm. and all that, and the continuation of ideas and right. So then maybe that, like it makes me feel like maybe your point is correct that it's just kind of all bled in together, so that yeah. Maybe would, managers appropriate at times, so but maybe head coach is more apt. I would almost say that there are no managers now. Maybe you call Arsene Wenger a manager because he's so embedded in the club so he can oversee a lot of things. But I'll give you a great example, uh-huh. Pep Guardiola. Yep. Pep Guardiola is going to be the new Manchester City manager, right? That was confirmed this week. Man City put out a statement. Mm-hmm. In that statement and in the official letter that we saw, he was referred to as head coach. See? But I'll guarantee Guardiola will pretty much have free reign in terms of transfers. It's also called the EPL, so, you know. It was called the EPL. That's that's interesting, right? (laughs) But the fact they call him head coach means that um, even when they've got a manager, I'm going to call him a manager, coming in who's going to have a lot of power and a lot of authority, almost in a Fergus any kind of way, just because he's so respected and they've been sending him love letters for like two years now. Yeah. True, right? Um, (laughs) Even he is called uh, head coach. And I think it might be, this isn't so much a British-American thing as a British versus everybody thing, (laughs) that um, English clubs have finally got on side with the rest of the world in not making the manager, quote-unquote, an all-powerful figure. Because in Germany, France, Italy, they've always had sort of technical directors and team managers. Britain was the holdout. Okay. So I want to try something. You tell me, coach or manager? Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson. Manager. All right. Alan Pardew. Coach. <laughs> Tony Pulis. Still coach. Okay. Uh, Jurgen Klopp. Head coach. <laughs> okay, so it's basically... Any modern example, I'm going to say coach. Okay, so much. yeah, so it's basically some get a head title, <laughs> some yeah. just get coach. Well, even, so the one that really convinced me of this, especially this British versus European thing, mm-hmm. um, was I talked on the last show about Das Reboot, the book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the German national team. Yogi Lowe is head coach. The team manager is Oliver Bierhoff. Interesting. Oliver Bierhoff. And he's responsible for like, f- helping like, uh, contact the clubs to get the players called up. He's responsible so logistics. for yeah. logistics. He mm. was apparently specifically responsible for selecting the camp, the place where the German team would stay during the World Cup. Wow. And he, they ended up, remember they ended up like, going into a place that was newly constructed? Yeah. And he was on the hook. If that had gone wrong... I know. That's what I'm saying. That's why I said, wow, like that. Like, that's yeah. a lot of pressure. And they were, apparently, you had, the only way to get there was to go down the river on a boat. Right? <laughs> so it was deliberately secluded. Yeah. But the... And they thought this... He was in, getting criticized because it looked like a crazy idea, but it ended up being this wonderful idea because the players felt like when they got on the boat, mm-hmm. took the trip, got off the boat... It, there was a separation between the craziness of the tournament mm-hmm. and the sort of sanctuary. The relative, relative seclusion and normalcy exactly. of their boat destination. Yeah. yeah. But that's why like, that team manager is an important role in that sense. I, like I think it. of it like maybe general manager in American sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. I think the general manager is generally more doing the logistics. Yeah. The, but then there is also like the, the, tra- the trading that they're doing, the drafting they're doing. Yeah. As well. So they are still involved in player acquisition and management, but not so much – who is actually on the field, as it, much as Moneyball would have you believe that they actually <laughs> run the entire thing. Yeah, and in an American sport, let's say baseball, mm-hmm. a good example, um, team manager and there's a coach, when they do get into the trading stuff, mm-hmm. surely the coach has a big say. I, yeah, I mean, I'm I sure it's so. like they sit down together, right, I yeah. would imagine. They don't just be like, oh, by the way, here's 10 players you'll be working with this year, and, and the uh, yeah. coach is like, uh. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, it's, it's tough to say because I really don't have that much knowledge of baseball. Like, I, again, I don't want to look at Moneyball and be like, oh, that's, yeah. that's the gospel. That's what happens is the manager makes all these trades, and then the coach has to live with it or not. Like, I do <laughs> think it's much more of a, of a coordinated effort between the two. It's got to be, right, in a functional my, team? My guess would be, and baseball fans, I apologize, but my guess would be that they meet the GM says to the coach, like, you know, what do you need? I need a power-hitting, you know, left-hander. And then he'll go out, find these people that he has in his, you know, scouting report, Rolodex, yeah. find the one that he can get, make that happen. So he gets him the player he needs, or like he gets him the position he needs, yeah. if not the player he needs. Interesting. There you go. Okay. But I would say now, if things are so fluid and any successful soccer team or any sports team, mm-hmm. it's about all those positions working together, right. getting things done. All right. All right. Pep talk complete. Pep talk complete. That was a pun.
uh, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh is the grammatical one. I could have have saved you some time. I have them numbered. It's Team Is (laughs) versus Team R. Um, In America, Manchester United is looking to sign a striker. Mm -hmm. In England, or in Britain, Manchester United are looking to sign a striker. Mm -hmm. So why is it the way it is in America? Because I still struggle with it. It's because... At least from, and I, and okay. I sometimes write for a living. Here. Oh, I absolutely, I, I know. We, I have struggled with it as well. We've both been soccer editors in our yeah. time. It's very frustrating at times. I had um, a music review in mm-hmm. a local alt weekly here, um, reviewing, I think, an Oasis album. Yep. And I, the whole review, I said, Oasis are doing this, Oasis yep. are doing this. Mm-hmm. They changed it to Oasis is doing this. Right. And I was arguing with them. That sounds terrible. It sounds terrible, but, that's, but I think that is the. I can only explain this the way I understand it because there are so many grammar rules out there. There's so many different ways to interpret it and say, no, this is right. This is wrong. What I will say to you is that the way – when I taught SAT, for example, you teach it's – a, it's a collective noun basically. Mm-hmm. So it is a team, a team even though it's individual noun. members. A group is an individual is a collective noun. Right? It's a group of people. Yeah. But it's still one group. And so with that, it's the entire thing is one thing and yeah. therefore it is singular. Okay. So that's why Oasis is a band – but the members of Oasis would be plural, obviously. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be the band members are. Right. But the band but, is. But as you said, it's not just speaking that's really awkward. But if you're if you're editing, for example, if you're saying Manchester United is looking to sign a striker, period, what would be the the pronoun you would then have to use if you want to start the next sentence? It. Right, which is so weird. Like it is hoping to get a Dutch mm-hmm. forward. Like, that sounds so odd. Yeah. And you end up having to use, like, the club or little workarounds so it doesn't yeah. sound so strange. So I tend to try to use the singular one since, in my mind, that's what's grammatically correct. Yeah. But it definitely does not sound like the right way to say it. And I would say it's easier in British English where yeah. collective nouns are referred to uh, with plural verbs. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. It, I it think just, it absolutely is. It just makes everything smoother. Yep. <laughs> and it's far less complicated. Yeah. It's, but that's the frustrating thing. It's also nicer, I think. Yeah. I think it's nicer to think of Manchester United as a collection of people. Mm-hmm. Even the front, the front office stuff. Like, I think it's nicer to think of everybody at Manchester United, all these different people. Yeah. They are looking to sign a striker. They're all, like, they're all doing the work for it. Yeah. Instead of Manchester United, just this cold like, entity that is like, monolithic and yeah. isn't made up of individuals. Yeah. And I say that with companies as well. Like it, to me, it makes companies more human. Like Sony is doing this versus Sony are. The people who work at Sony are doing this. I think you're going emotional. I don't know how I feel about that <laughs> one. I, and I like the, uh, the article, though, that you – the interview that you sent me with, I think, the, the editor of Deadspin. Yes. Who's basically saying that he blamed it on – On the media uh, podcast yeah. radio show. And he's saying he blamed it on – like NBA teams that didn't want to have a plural yeah. mascot. So the Miami Heat would yep. be one. Nowadays, the Oklahoma City Thunder also won. That was the problem. It was the 2012 NBA Finals between Heat and Thunder. Right. Right? It became <laughs> problematic for people writing headlines. Right. It's like the Heat are. That just sounds yeah. weird. But the Heat is. Then it gets you into troubles as well. Well, their problem also was that you couldn't break it down into individual mm-hmm. units, right? Because I think the argument I read was that when it's the Yankees, mm-hmm. and then when you want to refer to a player, they are a Yankee. It's right. like a single unit of Yankee, mm-hmm. right? But single, with heat, you can't have a single unit of heat. Yeah, yeah. a calorie of heat. Exactly. Is what I think yeah. said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, yeah, it's just it, and it's. I think at the end of the day, it's grammatically in the United States, it's always going to be the team is. Mm-hmm. But we don't speak grammatically correctly, mm-hmm. really ev- ever. Yeah. It's really we don't, we don't talk good. No, no, we don't. And but it's you know there's there's the obvious ones. I could care less. That isn't the saying. It's I couldn't care less. Yeah. Like, there's those little things, and it really frustrates. I'll say this: having taught Turkish students to get a good score on the SAT, it's wildly frustrating. It's like why why do you do it that way? That's the rule. But that's not how anyone talks. <laughs> like it, it, it really is. Frustrating, I think, because there's so many rules in place. So can we say with this one, maybe we are going to lean towards Team R? I don't – see, I, th- I, I, I honestly – I yield to you, the editor. So if you – and that's where I think maybe it's hard for me because I can't separate it from like my job editing. Right. That I've kind of always gone back and changed it to singular because I assume that's what I should be yeah. doing. What was, so what and would I do you as well. Do? So I, one of my other jobs, I do mm-hmm. some copy editing for a university. Right. So I can't just put my own spin on that stuff. Like mm-hmm. they ha- I have to go right. with. Um, and in those situations, what the, would it be? Mostly, it's the, team well, is. It's the university is, for example. Right. Right. It mm-hmm. is the university is looking to do this. So I'll, I guess then I will continue to write 
uh, as the team is, but right. I think in talking, I'm almost <laughs> always going to say Manchester United are. There we go. Yep. I think we've I think we've solved it. Yeah. Well done. Sure. Sure. Because <laughs> I mean, even to be fair, even that podcast that you talked about, like they don't On the really media? solve it in the end. They no. just say because he, he says like he just points out how hot it is. Basically. Yeah, and then he basically says that there's like other like subtext to using R as like a plural noun that's mm-hmm. weird. I don't know. It's all about music and stuff. It's confusing. <laughs> well, he, he ends up saying that basically we try to be grammatically correct, but we ultimately go with the sound test. Like, oh, that's does it, right. That's does right. it sound correct? Which is essentially what we're saying, yeah. the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he says basically... Tom Skoko. That's the, uh, the dead spin editor. Okay. Yeah. He, he basically says we would prefer not to have to think about this thing, but we have to. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be way easier just to have a rule and roll with it. All right, Tyler, number eight. Okay. It is outside backs versus fullbacks. Mm-hmm. This is your right backs and your left backs. Yep. Why in America are they called outside backs when the correct term is fullbacks? I think – actually, <laughs> I think maybe it makes more sense for you to go with fullback and explain where fullback comes from. You want me to go first? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, fullbacks originally in the way, way back machine in mm-hmm. the 1880s, um, the original – sort of soccer formation was the two, three, five. Right. Two defenders, three midfielders, five forwards. You got it. Soccer was more fun back then in many ways, if you like goals. <laughs> or under Pep Guardiola now. <laughs> the two defenders... He's done two, three, five this season, right? Not, not on paper, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> the two defenders in the two, three, five mm-hmm. were referred to as fullbacks because in the literal sense, they were fully defensive. They mm-hmm. were the guys that stayed all the way back, fullbacks, okay? Then as formations changed is where it gets complicated or where it gets explained, I want to say. So your next step is um, the 325, the WM, um, pioneered by Herbert Chapman, I believe, at Arsenal in the 1920s. He moved one of the midfielders back to join the defenders. He put them. He put that new defender between the fullbacks. So these two guys that were central have now been pushed slightly wide. Make sense? Mm-hmm. When you get a back four, you get another player from midfield come back and be the centre back between mm-hmm. the fullbacks. Right. Still so in. now the fullbacks are pushed all the way, essentially to the wings. Right. So they're still called fullbacks, but they're actually wide backs. Right. In many ways. Mm-hmm. Which I think, if I'm being. I, what I said before is that I think sometimes American sports are a little more rigid, are a little more literal, and I think that's where this comes from. Mm-hmm. If you look at the way, like a lot of American positions would be described. If you're a a 10-year-old American playing soccer in the 70s and 80s and it's a foreign thing, it probably is a little bit more simple between saying fullback and saying, okay, you're on the outside, you're the outside back, you're the center back, Uh you're the outside midfielder, you're the central midfielder, you are the forward. And like that is kind of, you're telling them where they're playing on the field in the position. Yes. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's what I would say. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes mm-hmm. sense. I think, honestly, I think part of the, the youth soccer stuff is the reason that American terms are more descriptive, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it has to make sense when you're trying to tell kids like what their position is. Yep. You don't have to like give the kid a five-minute lecture on Herbert Chapman and the WM yep. so that he can explain that he's going to be standing over there. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's also helpful that... The kid's like, so oranges are at halftime? <laughs> it's also helpful in the directional sense because you know which way you're going. Like, I, as a little kid, I'm not sure I do even to this day. Like, I don't know what right field is because I don't in know... baseball again? Yeah, yeah because I don't know if right field is when you're looking from the batter's box, is it the right-hand side or is it from the team looking at you which way it is? I imagine the way to tell is stand where you think you should be. And if the other team suddenly scores a ton of runs, you're in the wrong place. Honestly, I remember I've not played I've not played like organized I've never played organized baseball. I've played yeah. T ball. And basically my strategy was when I was six. I remember my strategy, he'd be like, All right, go play right field, which instantly means I'm terrible. Keep that in mind. <laughs> oh, is your right field where you put the worst player? Yeah, it's like you just hide them way out there and hope that they I played most of the game looking through my glove because it has this little like mesh window in it and I'd just be like, Oh, I can still see the field. Like a like a was, harmless bane. I was a little <laughs> First of all, uh, dibs on that as my new nickname. Second of all, yeah, uh, not the greatest baseball player, but basically what I would do is kind of slowly wander out towards the outfield and then like look back at the coach and be like, huh? Am I heading the right direction? And then he'd just point and then I'd walk that way. That was, that was my, uh, my professional career in T-ball. Didn't last long. So to get us back yeah. to outside back versus fullback, I think this is maybe the best example of the thing we talked about earlier about um, the British terms being archaic right. and traditional, but because of that being kind of incorrect if you take them literally now. Mm-hmm. 
And then the American terms being basically just more modern descriptors. Yeah. Yeah. Is that fair? I like it. So I, I think you could still use them all and people would know what you're talking about. But I think we're but even – I think the British one gets less correct every year because fullbacks are now getting farther and farther forward. Like you think about true. Danny Alves is right back at Barcelona. We had a whole long test conversation yeah. about this last night. But we watched the Barcelona Atletico yep. game and look where Danny Alves was most of the time. But I think we're actually sort of – There's a, nothing full about his being back. Weirdly, I think, but in this conversation, we're talking about two terms when there is – when there are – Two other terms that are used to this day that are much easier, which is left back and right back. That's yes. what I think everybody would agree <laughs> upon, and that's what we tend to use. So, yeah. like, I don't even think I say outside backs anymore. I'd say, like, oh, they've got a good left back and a good right back. Like, or their right. left and right backs are good, maybe? Yeah. But I think usually I'd say them independently of each other, and I would say left and right. And that I think that sense. maybe makes more sense. It might just be that the outside idea is odd for for brits so we found a workaround yeah Left sure back and right back. yep it's just to be more specific yep right. exactly very yeah. total talk show uh, yeah there we go <laughs> <laughs> all right number nine the goal scoring uh thing on our list mm-hmm. not really because if no goals have been scored yep. it's either overtime or extra time right um in america i think you guys refer to it as overtime when you play uh the extra 30 minutes at the end of 90 minutes mm-hmm. to decide a winner in england we call it extra time right why do you call it overtime i'm assuming it comes from other sports I mean, yeah, but it's just the basic concept is that time is over, so you're going over time. I yeah. mean, that's basically all, all there is to it. It's just that the time that happens after the end of regulation time is over time. Boom. Done. Boom. Simple. Yeah. <laughs> well, can, can we get into a little bit about what happens in other sports, though? Because I know, for example, I've watched a bit of NFL, and I remember watching a game where overtime was like whoever scores next wins, sort of. Yeah. It's, it's, football is – that's what – yeah, you got it. Boom. Done. <laughs> It's sort of – that's how it used to be. So it was basically you have a 15-minute quarter as you would in Regular normal. time. Yep, exactly. There you go. Um, but it, it used to be whoever scores first wins. So it kind of was golden goal. Yeah. They've changed that a little bit because I think what would end up happening is almost always whoever had possession would get in field goal range and kick a field goal. Got it. And now I'm pretty sure it's – I haven't watched much football this season because there's been some soccer going on. But I believe it is – or maybe it happened a couple years ago – it's if you kick a field goal, then the other team gets a chance to try to score as well. I see. But if you score a touchdown, then you win. So if you're the first team to score the touchdown, the other team doesn't get to try again. Got it. Basically. Mm-hmm. But like hockey, hockey used to have overtime, but then it wasn't as exciting. So they went. I think they go directly to shootouts. Uh, basketball has overtime though, and that one keeps going and going and going. I would make the case mm-hmm. that overtime is sort of inaccurate. Yep. Whereas extra time, I think, is the correct term. I think yep. overtime has essentially been borrowed from American sports because it's overtime in all the other major sports, mm-hmm. right? And so people have just like assumed that when uh, soccer gets the extra time, mm-hmm. that it, that's what it's called. And I think the reason it's misleading is because the overtime stuff gets confused with added time, injury time. The stuff yep. that happens from 90 or minutes. stoppage time. Stoppage yeah. time, yeah. When the referee adds time on for you know injuries and substitutions and yep. all that. When you get in the 90 plus 1 plus 2 plus 3 zone. Mm-hmm. So the official term is extra time. Right. Like when you see score sheets, it, it will say ET, meaning extra time. Like it's an official term. Yeah, and I think this is one I don't – I understand why people would call it overtime because that's what every other American sport has. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever called it overtime. Oh, you don't? No. Okay, I was I, expecting I, you to make the case for it. No, I don't think – I think I'll always – I think what happens, though, more often than not for me is that I get confused and sometimes say, like, overtime is extra time, or I'll call it extra time. But I think sometimes I'll also call stoppage time, injury time, extra time. I see. That's where I think it can get confused. So maybe that's people. why a lot of Americans do say overtime, because mm-hmm. at least in their head that specifically is the, like, additional period yeah. as opposed to this weird, like – <laughs> this weird, mysterious thing at the end of the game. Yep. <laughs> it's a, sometimes, so yeah, I think maybe that's what it becomes. Because injury like, time is a crazy, arbitrary, bizarre thing. It's like if you don't know if a guy's name is Kirk or Kurt, so you're just like, yeah, Kurt. And like, <laughs> you like, leave it like that. <laughs> like, it might just be that. that K-Man! Sometimes like, is it actually, is it, uh, overtime. We're going to overtime. <laughs> Hooray, overtime. Mumble time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number 10. Shutout versus clean sheet. Mm-hmm. Taylor, why do you constantly say shutout? <laughs> All the time. Or why do people say shutout? Because I usually play on teams that have very good defenses. <laughs> uh, I mean, I did... I'm taking that as a compliment. I did as much work as I could to figure out an example or, like, where shutout comes from. Yeah. I mean, and... It's literal, right? We, yeah. We've, we've shut you out. We've cl- like, if you throw someone out of your house and close the door and don't let them in, yeah. you're not letting someone into your goal. Yeah. Shutout. So there it is. Yeah, basically. And, uh, like and Fred Flintstone tries to do with his cat. There you go. 
I, I don't <laughs> I cannot speak to that. Yeah. Since I don't think I watched the Flintstones ever. Really? Could be wrong. Well, other than the right. Flintstones movie, Viva, Viva Rock yeah, Vegas. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I th- my guess would be from what I've read that its origin is in baseball, and it's basically if the other team failed to score. So out would be that you've remo- been removed from p- from play. You know, so if you have three outs or like you know the batter's out, that kind of thing, he's been physically removed from the play. So you've been you could either be removed from the game completely, or it could just be that you've been shut out of the opponent's end, the opponent's goal. Yeah, that's what I meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's where shut out comes from, Daryl. So clean sheets is one of those things that sort of doesn't make sense until you go back to the archaic historical mm-hmm. stuff. So there's no official reason for it. There are two competing theories. Yep. The first is that every game or match has a, you know, a score sheet, an official score sheet mm-hmm. that's submitted to the league. And on one side, you record the goals for each team. If your side has no goals conceded, you have clean a clean sheet. sheet. You have mm-hmm. a clean side. The second version is that in the 30s, apparently newspaper reporters would have two different sheets and they would record who's done what for each team, who scored goals for each team. Mm-hmm. So if the one side, especially if games are higher scoring, if his one sheet where he's recording who's, who scored the goals is empty, you've kept a clean sheet. Hmm. So it's essentially okay. the same thing. It's a sheet of paper that yeah. is unmarked because you have um, prevented the other team yeah. from scoring. I like it. I What I'm trying to figure out is why I don't like overtime and why I don't like shutout. Yeah, because you seem more negative on those two than on all the other American terms. And I think it might be because it makes me think of Major League Soccer in its early days, early days <laughs> where I think about like... The fluorescent m- Major League Soccer? It's, this is the best way I can explain that's, that's it. How and I, think of that and I know this is odd. I'm not saying this is the case for everyone. Me personally, I think it's just I think of those as like bright neon colors yes. like we're going to overtime and oh he's got a shutout that's what i'm saying like, that's flore- the fluorescent era yeah exactly and yeah. it's just very like loud and sort of uh-huh. the most like we're doing our own thing and you yeah. should be like interested in it for that reason and so it, it stands out to me in that way in like these are the two terms i think that are like where i kind of agree with like the the pinky up on the uh the teacup of like oh you american brutes <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's clearly extra time and clean sheet <laughs> So, again, I don't think I say shutout. Mm-hmm. I don't think, like, oh, David, David De Gea got another shutout. I would say he's kept another clean sheet. Is there a problem that it sounds like shoutout? <laughs> yeah. So David De Gea got another shoutout. He'd give a shout-out to his defenders. <laughs> He'd give a shout-out to his defenders after keeping – after earning a shutout. Yeah. I was thinking, like, he, get, he got a shout-out from Florentino Perez. He'd be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> but that's – so that's – and I would, I would be interested to hear what our listeners think about those two terms specifically right. about overtime versus extra time, shed out versus clean sheet. Cause I, I might just speak for myself there. I probably do since that's physically the only thing I could be doing. Yeah. Well, the email address is contact <laughs> at total show.com. There's mm-hmm. one more Taylor. There is it's sideline versus touchline. This is the, um, the edge of the long edges mm-hmm. of the field down the side mm-hmm. from where if it goes out, you, you throw the ball in. I'm just pretty, just, pretty just much done my job for me. Just describe <laughs> it for listeners. Yeah. So, yeah, Taylor, why do Americans call it a sideline? I mean, again, I think it's, it's, it's more literal, a little bit it's more rigid. It's an outside back type thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's the line it, on the side. Exactly. <laughs> Your turn. Is that it? <laughs> yeah. So touchline's a little more complicated. It mostly comes from rugby that when the ball goes out over the line to the side – which mm-hmm. we will call maybe the sideline. Um, the ball is referred to as being kicked into touch. Right. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find a firm reason why it's called into touch, but it could be, I think you suggested we talked off air, yeah. it could be that then the players can touch it. Mm-hmm. For a throw-in, for example, you throw it back in. Yeah. But that's also because rugby also it's called into touch, and they touch it all the time because they carry the ball. Okay, but what happens when the ball goes out in rugby? The, um, the play's dead, obviously. Mm-hmm. Whatever play was happening is dead. And then one team throws the ball in. Right. Do you know this already? Or are you yeah, asking me? Okay, I do. Yeah. They but, throw the ball in. The two teams jump to try and catch but my point it. Is actually, I, it's the best part of it. But rugby. my point is I think – like I, again, this is me kind of speculating based on some stuff I read that – yeah, I heard the same thing that it's – or I heard what you were saying, which is that it is – when the ball goes out of bounds, that's when the player can touch it, take the throw, and he's the first one to touch it, so touch line. But I think maybe it's that play stops completely, mm-hmm. and so then only one team is like allowed to touch the ball. Maybe. So it's basically We're speculating. it's the only time when like the ball's on the field outside of like a free kick, I guess that yeah. like only one team can go for the ball basically, and so maybe in that regard, mm-hmm. that's where touchline comes. Maybe from, and then obviously one team uh, is permitted to touch. Soccer and rugby were sort of developed um, more or less at the same time, mm-hmm. so that's why this term comes from 
is more prevalent in rugby, but has sort of been transported over to uh, to football. Yeah. If we have any listeners who are rugby players or fans, and I think we do, um, please let us know why is it called intertouch, mm-hmm. right? When the ball goes out of bounds, essentially, why is it intertouch? Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to know. I'd be interested to know the etymology or any stories that explain why that is the way it is. I like it. Daryl, so before we, we transition out of this one, one thing I did want to talk to you about, uh, we talked about a little bit off air. It's something that we've and has come up before. It's about which version, American English or British English, is closer to the English that we would have spoken if we were still together. If we were, if we were still one unified, basically in the oh, 18th century, in the right. 17, 1700s and the 1600s too, uh-huh. which one is closer? Because I think people always just assume that British English is the closer one to what was spoken. And it's weird because it seems like it's kind of a combination that American English is closer in some ways, British English closer in other ways. Closer to what exactly? To the the form of English that would have been spoken like at the time of independence, basically. Where? Here or in Britain? In Britain. Hmm. Odd, right? So it's so the idea would be that certain words didn't change over time. So yeah. I like the one the ones I have for you are the A and cat. That the way we say cat is different than how do you say cat? Cat. Cat. Like it's like the ah, cot yeah. thing. Uh, oh, father and mother saying the R, that was a historical British tendency, whereas now you'd say. How would so you say? Uh, I'd say dad. So I'd say father? <laughs> yeah, you say father. So yeah. it's, it's little things like that, but then in a lot of other ways, the British is closer to the original British. So it's weird that people just assume it's one or the other, but in reality, it's this weird mix. I never even think about it. Well, there you go. Maybe I'm the only one who does that. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if you have any thoughts about what Tyler was just talking about <laughs> or about um, our British English versus American English um, football slash soccer terminology, yeah. please email them to contact at totalsoccershow.com. Come, Taylor, thank you for taking the time to talk to me in both languages today. Daryl, thank you for taking the time to talk to me in the same language today. <laughs> well, you know what Judge Bernard Shaw said. <laughs> I do. Listeners, Thanks to you. Listeners, thank you for listening. We will talk to you on Friday night and Saturday morning.